Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to uh, Genesis, uh, not Genesis, excuse me, Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3. While you're turning there, uh, there's a Bible study that goes along with this. handful on the back table. If you want more, I can get more. You don't have to take it. Uh, but if you want them, they're back there. If we need more, let me know. Uh, and let me do a little brief overview. I know we've merged two classes. Uh, so I think this is week four. We're trying to look at killing sin's roots. What, what is the deepest root of where our sin starts? so that we can be aware of it, so we can fight it at that level and hopefully try to cut it off before it even really starts to manifest itself in our life. So the first week, we primarily looked at Genesis 2 and talked about what does true holiness consist of. And we said it consists of trusting God, obeying God, and enjoying God, delighting in God. Okay? Um, and then we talked about, but where does sin come in? Well, it started with Satan coming into the garden, lying to humanity, and at first, most of his lies, and even to say lies is almost in some sense strong because it was more of just subtle implications, were about God. Uh, the, the, Tim Keller says it's like a character assassination on God. God's not good. God's not trustworthy. You shouldn't follow God. You shouldn't submit to God. Um, and we also looked last week at the book of Job, how this type of thing continues to happen, although it's not a supernatural experience for us most of the time with a talking snake, but that... Satan has power under the sovereignty of God to orchestrate circumstances in our lives to try to make us believe evil things about God. Okay, um, I think I shared this quote last week. I'll share it again. But William Hendrickson said, For believers, there is first the tempting voice or the inner whispering of Satan. We don't fully understand how this works, but it does seem that Satan is able to influence our thoughts and our mind. Okay, so we're trying to understand the deepest root of our sin. Okay, we said the deepest root is unbelief, right? Um, if anyone comes to God, he must believe that God is and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Romans 14, 23. Anything that's not from faith is sin. So the deepest root of our sin is unbelief, doubt. But then the second root, so to speak, the next level of the root is this, pride. Right? If God's not going to provide for me, then I'll provide for myself. And that's more what we're going to look at a little bit deeper today. So some of y'all may be um, not used to talking about sin in this language. Well, how does Satan lie to me and what is it I'm doubting about God? But let me just give you an example that may help bring it home. Because, listen, as I said last week, I don't want for any of us, myself included, for this just to be a theoretical, academic, scholarly exercise. I'm, I'm, I'm much more passionate for myself and for all of us that we try to think, okay, how does Satan and sin still pursue me today? And how can I be hyper-aware so I don't get blindsided and I'm able to cut sin off in my life at the deepest roots? So I had a friend, good godly guy. Uh, he used to work full-time for a ministry. He's in the business world now, but goes to a great PCA church. And he and I were actually with some other guys going through this Bible study. And at some point there was a question there about where do you tend to doubt the goodness of God in your life most often? And he's like, you know, I really don't think I doubt the goodness of God. I think I'm very firm and confident and okay. Maybe it was 30 or 45 minutes later in the same Bible study, he said, you know, I, I do need to make a confession. I've really been struggling with pornography lately. And, you know, partially what I was trying to help him see, I said, listen, you don't get to struggling with pornography without a sin that comes before that of doubting the goodness of God. You understand how that works? Well, we can be blind to it. 
But just, I'm, again, you don't know this guy, so I can, uh, you know, kind of tell a little bit of his story. He said, well, my wife's been sick for a long time. I've been traveling. Business has been hard. I'm feeling kind of down. I'm feeling a little depressed. And so what happens, I'm somewhere, I'm on the road by myself. I end up making a stupid decision because I, I want a sense of relief. I want some sense of joy. I want some quick sense of just something that feels positive, even though he knows very well this is sinful. But where does that start at a deep root kind of mental level? It's, it's some level, hey, God, I'm down here doing my best, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good daddy, trying to be a good Christian businessman, and I don't feel like you're blessing me and giving me the good things in life I want. There's that little seed of doubt. So you know what, by golly, if I have to break a few rules to get something, I'll go out and get it. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, you may say, well, it doesn't work that way in my life. Great, praise the Lord. But none of us in this room are Jesus. Right, And so we need to be aware, how is it that Satan still pursues us so that we can catch it? All right, Because usually if we can learn to catch sin where it starts, at the deepest root, it's just the thought level, it's a lot easier to fight it then than it is when it's already started to manifest itself. Make sense? Okay. So we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 3, the greatest example of this, the Lord Jesus and how he fought against sin. So the first point is this, what did God say? What did God say? Okay, so let's start in Matthew chapter 3, starting verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now just think about that. Experientially, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? I mean, the Holy Spirit comes down in a physical, obvious manifestation. You can see this dove. And then God speaks out loud audibly, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, just the smile of God, the blessing of God, the goodness of God is showered on Christ in a very powerful way. And then look what happens. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We said this last week. God never tempts us to sin. God does put us in a place to be tested And it seems really similar. In fact, that word can be the same word in the Greek, just translated two different ways. But why? Because God wants his people to be refined, to be purified. Okay. Now, he's led up to be tested. Now, we may say, but why Jesus? Why did this have to happen? Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 4 because we're coming right back. But flip over for just a second to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and skip down to just the very last verse, and this is talking about Christ. Hebrews chapter 2, skip down to the very last verse. Verse 18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So why did Christ have to be driven out into the desert, the wilderness, to be tempted by Satan? There's multiple reasons, but one reason is to be our example to go out there and, and identify with us and fight sin in a sense in the same way that we do so that he can help us when we struggle with temptation. All right, now, um, let's all, we're not going straight back to Matthew 4. Sorry about that. We will get back there eventually. Go back to Genesis 2, okay? This is kind of like the old Baptist sword drills. You're going to have to flip quickly. Genesis chapter 2, we've already covered this, so we'll be brief here. Genesis chapter 2. Look at verse 18. This is in the garden. The Lord God said, 
it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now just think of the significance of what that verse, what that truth meant in Adam's life. Here's Adam. He's in paradise. No indwelling sin. No sinful culture. And yet he was all alone. Right? All the animals have a friend. Mr. Rhinoceros, Mrs. Rhinoceros. You know, Mr. Gorilla, Mrs. Gorilla. I don't have a friend. And he doesn't have to complain. He doesn't have to whine. God takes notice. I mean, it's God saying... Hey, I'm a good daddy. I'm looking. It reminds me a little bit of before Abraham died and he said, I'm going to make sure Isaac gets a good wife. He was a, God is a good father. He's looking out for his children. He said, I'm going to provide for you. And he did. He created woman. He brought the woman to the man and they were very happy. Now, we've already looked at this. Why am I kind of harping on this? Uh, Flip now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is Moses speaking to the Israelites before he's going to pass on. So in some sense, this is Moses being a good father to the nation of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's start in uh, verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit by your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You you see the point that I'm going after here is we have to be proactive to be remembering what has God said? What has God done? How faithful has God been to me in the past? Because God blesses our socks off. I mean, just even in the prayer this morning, we, we have so many blessings that we can celebrate in the nation of America in this church, in the state of Alabama. And it's easy sometimes we get so blessed that we start to forget, why do I have such a great life? Not a perfect life, but i got a great life. Because God's been good to me. And He didn't have to be good to me. But He's gracious, He's generous, He's lavish. And when we forget those things, and listen, we don't literally forget them. I think Tim Keller has a quote where he says, "It's it's a form of rational laziness. What it is is, we don't intentionally call it to mind enough. That's one of the reasons it's so good to pray like that and be thankful because when I'm not in a state of thanksgiving, I'm a lot more susceptible to sin. Does that make sense? So we've got to be thinking, what has God said? What has God said to me? But the second point that we need to be aware of is, what is Satan saying? Okay. Um, so, go back to Matthew 4 now. As we said, the first thing that Satan wants to say is about subtle implications about God. Okay? Sin starts with a character assassination of God. We can go further. Temptation starts with a character assassination of God. But imagine this. Imagine uh, if you were a soldier in a war, okay, and your enemy forces, okay, maybe the men will like this illustration better, but everybody just go with me. I think it'll work, okay? Uh, the main contingent of the enemy forces is on the mainland, but they have deployed some of their troops to an island. And there's only this one little bridge connecting the island and the mainland. And you're supposed to destroy that bridge. 
One very effective way to destroy the bridge would be I'm going to go to the mainland and I'm going to blow up that side of the bridge where the bridge attaches to the mainland. And then I'm also going to go to the island. I'm going to blow up that side of the bridge to just ruin all the communication and interaction that the force on the island can have with the mainland. Does that make sense? And what in the world does that have to do with us in spiritual warfare? In a sense, that's what Satan is trying to do to us. We're God's people out here, so to speak, isolated. At times we feel like on planet Earth. And God in heaven is our good heavenly Father, and we do have interaction with Him through prayer, through thanksgiving, through His Word. But Satan is trying to ruin that relationship. R.T. France, this great commentator on Matthew, says, what Satan is trying to do is drive a wedge between the heavenly Father and the Son. And if he was trying to do that to Jesus, he's certainly trying to do that to us as adopted children. And he's going to try to say something wrong about God, but he also tries to say something wrong about us. And we've kind of hinted at that before, but this is what I want us to go deeper in this morning and look at how he does it here, okay? So back to Matthew 4, and let's start in verse 3 and look at Satan's temptations. Well, let's start in verse 2. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, right? He's full of God. He's also fully man. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall live on bread alone, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they shall bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now, notice in the first two temptations, they start the same way. How do they start, the first two temptations? If you are the Son of God. Now, most commentators would say, probably better to translate this, since you are the Son of God. And what he's appealing to is Jesus you're really the Son of God? You really have this power? Use it for yourself. Because, again, what's the, the first lie is against the character of Father God. Think about it. The subtle implication is your Father's going to take care of you. Don't look like He's taking care of you to me. You look like a homeless loser to me. You're out here in the middle of the wilderness. You're all by yourself. You haven't had anything to eat for 40 days. You don't have any followers. You don't have any fame. You don't have any power. You don't have any goal. What kind of Messiah are you? So in the first lie, so to speak, is against the character of God. But there's also the subtle implication. You don't look like you're doing very good. You lack something. You need something else. And you have the power to get it, so you might as well use that power. What are you waiting on? Abuse your privileges. Didn't Satan do the exact same thing to Adam and Eve in the garden? They were already made an image of God. But remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 5? We won't go back there, right? If you just eat of this fruit, then you'll have real knowledge. You'll have the knowledge of good and evil. You lack something. You're deficient. Your heavenly Father hasn't given you everything that you need. There's more stuff. And if you will just rise up, use your privilege, use your power in a selfish way, you can give it to yourself. And listen, in some ways, Satan is saying the exact same thing to us today. All right, here's D.A. Carson in this passage. 
this is, this is what the devil is essentially saying. Sonship surely means you have the power and the right to satisfy your own needs. If you're really a son of God, you can do whatever you want. You want to turn the stones into bread? You don't have to wait on your father's permission. You can do it. You have the power. Use it for yourself. Here's the Geneva uh, Bible study. Okay? Christ being tempted by Satan, first to distrust in God, and lastly to a vain confidence in himself. And we say, but he's Jesus. He should have had confidence in himself. Yes, but in this moment, he's the suffering servant. He's submitted to his father. He's to obey in all things. Okay? And we said this, I think, last week or two weeks ago. Most of Satan's best temptations, they're rooted in reality, right? And think about even, did you notice what Satan's second temptation here was rooted in? It was rooted in a Bible verse. It doesn't get more real than that. It doesn't get more good than that. He is so good at taking good and right and natural desires and trying to twist them and pervert them by getting us to satisfy them in wrong ways, right? Was it wrong that Jesus was hungry after 40 days of fasting and he wanted some bread? Of course not. But if he tried to get bread in a way that his father didn't want, that's where he got into trouble. Was it wrong for Jesus as the Messiah to want to be famous and have followers? Of course not. But if he went to do it in a self-centered, demanding way and not in a way submitted to the Father, that's why he got into trouble and that's the way that Satan tries to tempt us. So that's what God says, what Satan says, but here's the real key for us. What are we going to say? We know what God says, we know what Satan says, but what are we going to say? How are we going to respond? Now, did you notice there was, there was a similarity in Satan's temptations twice, but in Jesus' response, there was a similarity three times. And let's just look at the third response. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So, in Jesus' response, what was the common response? The similarity. It is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. Now, two things I want us to notice. The first is this. Notice that he did not use verses that said something great about the Messiah. And it says he didn't use verses to say, no, no, I'm great, Satan. I'm sufficient. You're, you're implying that I lack something, and I'm saying I don't like anything. The type verses, they all went back to the character of Father God. You don't live by just bread. You live by the words of my Father. Yes, my Father's good and trustworthy, but you shouldn't test Him. My Father's worthy of worship. You should never worship anybody else. All of His verses weren't... Even though Satan, in some sense, was lying about God the Father and also trying to lie about Him, when Jesus combated Him, He did not try to focus on how great He was. And the obvious implication for us guys is when we're tempted to sin, when those thoughts start going in our minds... Don't try to search for verses so much that make you feel great about yourself. You might have a hard time finding them. Search for verses that will focus you back on the goodness of God, the sufficiency of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God that make up for any real or seeming lack or deficiency in ourselves. Now, let's talk about application here for a while. I told a story on my friends, so now I'll tell a story on myself, okay? On the uh, name of application. I started uh, looking at pornography regularly when I was fifth grade. I think I was 10 years old. Uh, I grew up in a great godly family. Went to a Christian school for a while. Uh, went to a good church. As best I understand, I really think I was a believer at that age. Now, at that age, I was not having all these deep intellectual thought processes about what was leading me to my sin. 
But as I have matured and been sanctified by God's grace and tried to look back on, how did I get stuck in that pattern for so many years as a real believer? Here's some of the lies that I started to realize that as a young child I was believing. Okay? Number one, God's not going to give me the best pleasures in life. Right? Character assassination of God. He's really not good. He's really not trustworthy. He's really not going to give you the best stuff. Second thing, there are pleasures in life that I really want. I might have gone as far as to say, I need them. I have to have them. Okay? I'm lacking something. Something wrong with me. I need something more. Third lie. Yes, I'll have to sin to get the best pleasures in life, the way that I had defined it. But it's not that bad. It won't hurt me that much. The consequences won't be that bad. Okay? Now, here's the thing. In, in high school, God really started doing a big work in my life and brought me out of a lot of that sin. Okay? By His grace. But at some level, those lies get baked into the basement of my soul and how I think. And they can, they can still have implications today as a 45-year-old man. And I'll give you an example in a minute. Let me read another quote by a guy named John Mark Comer okay, uh, that I know you, most of you are familiar with. If you let that lie into your body, into your neurobiology, you let that lie give shape to your behavior. Ideas have power only when we believe them. They have zero effect on us unless we begin to trust them as an accurate map to reality. And as a fifth grader, I was trusting those lies as an accurate map to reality. At that point, they are animated by a strange kind of energy and authority, and they begin to release life or death into our bodies. Okay, now, let's, let's bring it up to modern day. Have any of you ever heard the acronym HALT? You know, about fighting sin, H-A-L-T, okay? If you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely, and if you're tired, that's probably when you're going to get tempted. I mean, Jesus in the desert. He was hungry, he was lonely, he was tired. Okay? He wasn't angry, praise the Lord. All right? But we can certainly get there. So what does this look like now for me? Right? I mean, 45 years old, I've been in full-time ministry over half my life now. But let's just say I've had a hard week. I've had a long week. I'm not angry, right? I'm, I'm more holy than that. I'm just minorly frustrated. Any of you ever been there? Right? I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated, right? We call that baby anger around our house, right? I am a little lonely, right? You start to have a bunch of teenage kids. You get home, nobody's there. Okay? I'm exhausted. But before somebody left, they made a whole plate of cookies. And it has just come out of the oven. And it's chocolate chip. And they're warm right now. And here's the thought that goes through my head. I'm going to eat that entire plate of cookies. <laughs> I don't care that I just committed to a new diet three days ago. Those cookies will make me happy. Again, am I saying this stuff out loud? No. But these type of feelings are going through my mind and my heart, right? It's been a long week. It's been a hard week. I don't feel blessed enough. I would never say that out loud, but that's what I feel. And it has emotional value. And it finds a landing ground because of patterns of sin... 35 years ago. I'm going to eat all these cookies. And then it'll make me feel better. Then I'll be happy. I deserve these cookies. And it's such a great opportunity. They're warm right now. If I wait till tomorrow, they won't be warm anymore. Okay. Um, let me just read another uh, quote by John Mark Comer. It's been so helpful to me. Here's the lie from Satan. If you seize autonomy from God, and do your own thing with me, you'll be better off. You ever feel that way? That is the lie underneath all other lies. 
Fault patterns are the primary vehicle of demonic attack upon our souls. Have you ever had, listen guys to this, have you ever had a thought or a feeling or a desire that seemed to have a will to it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there have been times when I eat the first cookie and I'm like, they're not even that good. They're not even that good. Just stop with one. But I'm like, no, I've already committed to eating the whole plate. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I'm, and you're almost having a conversation with yourself. I don't even want to eat these cookies now. But it's almost like there's a thought in your mind that almost has a will to it to keep pushing us, the inner whispering of Satan. If we give in to it, the thoughts at war with life and peace, they become strongholds in our minds and they hold us in captivity. You fight the devil's lies by simply choosing to not think about them. You replace the devil's lies with God's truth. You cut new neural pathways that eventually take root in the neurobiology of your body itself. You become what you give your mind to. Okay, This is from a neuroscientist. Um, directed attention can literally rewire your brain. When an unwanted thought comes into your conscious awareness, all you have to do is think about something else. The key is not just to think about Scripture, but to think Scripture. Okay, and then he quotes this old 4th century monk. Okay? Whenever a thought is not firmly set in one's thinking so that one can answer the evil one, sin is easily and swiftly handled. Let me try to say this in practical layman's language. Nature hates a vacuum, right? The sinful temptation comes into your mind. Whether it's to eat the whole plate of cookies or go watch pornography or whatever the sin struggle is for you. You can't just say, I'm not going to think about that. That doesn't work, right? If I say right now, whatever you do for the next 30 minutes, don't think about a pink elephant. Now everybody's thinking about a pink elephant. <laughs> you have to have something else to direct your mind to. And what should you direct your mind to? The Word of God. I mean, and some of you may say, why are you quoting neurobiology and science? We're in a Christian church. Guys, scientists are just figuring out the same stuff that Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can literally make your mind new by intentionally meditating on Scripture and doing it so often and so well that it starts to become the natural thought processes of your mind. Does that make sense? I mean, when I, I said that God did a breakthrough in my life when I was in high school, and part of that breakthrough came through talking to my dad about the struggles I was having. Had a great relationship with my dad. And part of what my dad did to help me was to say, you need to memorize Romans chapter 6. And anytime you're tempted with lust or anything, okay, that's what we were talking about, start quoting Romans chapter 6. And listen, here's what happened. After months, the first little beginning tempting thought of lust started to go to my mind. It was almost like a knee-jerk reaction of Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that sin may increase? By no means. We die. I, was, I was rewiring my brain to think Scripture, to not believe the lies of Satan. Okay. Did you also notice this? When Satan tempted Jesus, yes, Jesus quoted Scripture, but he didn't quote random Scripture. He didn't just say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's like, Jesus, it's like Jesus said, hey, Satan, you got a temptation about bread? I got a verse about bread. You got a temptation about testing God? I got a verse about that. You got a temptation about worship? I got a verse about that. Here's my point, really practical for us. The best thing that you and I can do is know yourself, know the main ways that you're tempted. 
You may say, I'm not tempted by gluttony or pornography. Praise the Lord. But again, you're not Jesus. You're tempted by something. Figure out what it is and then try to memorize verses in those specific areas to prepare for the fight every day. One of the verses that has helped me so much in recent years has been Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? Because whether it's lust or gluttony or something else, what am I really after? Pleasure. I want joy. I want happiness. And God's not against that, but I've got to pursue it His way, His timing, with His means, and not in my own way. I don't need to buy the lie of Satan. Okay? Now, again, many of you are like, Oh, and thank you for sharing this story, but you know, never struggled with pornography my whole life. Can't really identify with that. Again, I mean it. Praise God. But remember the C.S. Lewis quote that we read maybe the first week. Satan will be happy to turn you into a magician, which seems really scandalous and weird, right, to have a sorcerer in 21st century Alabama. Or a materialist. We got those all over the place. Doesn't look near as scandalous, does it? It's much more of a white-collar, domesticated sin. Anything that he can do to drive a wedge between that intimacy, that trusting relationship that I have a good Father in Heaven who loves me, who's trying to bless me, and so even when life is hard or life is boring or whatever it is that I don't start trying to provide for myself, I say, no, 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 I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to go His way. I'm going to go His timing. I'm going to go by His means. Okay? What's the sin struggle that you struggle with? Okay. Now, again, I've kind of ended with the sin of gluttony for a couple of reasons. Because number one, I really do struggle with that. Because number two, it's a sin that we can feel pretty comfortable talking about in class because it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? But number three, here's part of what I'm help, trying to help us see. Even these seemingly small sins like gluttony. What exactly was it that Adam and Eve did that threw the whole human race eating something they weren't supposed to eat and when Jesus Christ came to planet earth to start taking it back over from the prince of the power there and he started his ministry and the first temptation what was it about something as small as self control and eating I'm not going to eat that because my father doesn't want me to eat that guys the little sins matter right you give in to the little sins you're just, in a sense, giving your mind to the believe the false logic of sin and Satan will build a stronghold there and the next thing you know, you'll be given into bigger sins. You've got to learn how to fight sin at the closest level of the root. Now, I said I had three lies I believed when I was in fifth grade. And I'm still tempted to believe today. There's actually a fourth. And see if any of you can identify with this one. After I've sinned, and I feel guilt and I feel shame. Whatever I do, I can't tell anybody. I gotta hide it. I gotta cover it up. I gotta lie about it. I gotta pretend like it doesn't exist. Which is just a false gospel of trying to put my best foot forward and it never works. Now, see, this is where Matthew 4 takes on an even greater significance for us. Should we read this as we have today and look at Jesus as our example? How did he fight? How can we fight? Yes, but there's more than that. Because as Satan, he's so crafty. The real temptation that Satan was after with Jesus that day wasn't just to eat a piece of bread he wasn't supposed to eat. It was to skip the cross and still get the crown. You came back here to take over planet Earth? Look, I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you. You don't have to go to the cross. No suffering. 
Just bow down and worship me right now and you can have it all. And that's where it seems like the temptation started to get to Jesus. And he said, be gone, Satan. Get out of here. Now, when we read this passage, yes, we should read it. Jesus is our model, as our example. But there's a really a better way to read it. It's not wrong to read it that way. Here's the better way. We should almost imagine ourselves as one of the Israelite soldiers way back when, hiding in the ditch. And David, our champion, is walking out to fight Goliath. And he's going to defeat him in our place as our proxy, so to speak. And then we're going to jump up and we're going to rush the battlefield. And we're going to do our part. But the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ the victor, he has to do his part first. And that's what this passage is really ultimately about. So go to, back to Hebrews chapter 2 and we'll finish with this. Hebrews chapter 2. Listen, I want for you and I want for me that we will fight our sin with passion, with zeal, at the deepest level of the root. When the first thought of unbelief, when the first temptation of pride, when the first thought of something's wrong with God the Father, He's not providing, something's wrong with you, you're lacking something you should go get. I want us to catch it, because it's so much easier if you catch it there. Then you wait for it to build up, and then the temptation's right in your face. Okay. But what about when you blow it? What about when you don't catch it quick enough? Hebrews chapter 2 and skip down to verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Then look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Two thoughts from verse 17 and we're done. Okay? He is a high priest that's merciful. When you do sin in the exact same way for the 10,000th time and you come back to him... The main emotion that he feels towards you is not anger and how dare you and I can't believe you did this again. It's mercy. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Why? Because he came to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Guys, all of us had an appointment, a well-deserved appointment with the wrath of God. But for all of those that are in Christ, God said, I'm going to send a proxy to the cross. To take that wrath. And that ought to be for us the greatest picture, the greatest reminder of God's love, God's goodness, God's compassion, that He is a great Father that's thanking for us and providing for our needs before we even know that he, we needed it. And that ought to reaffirm when some little temptation comes through our mind, God's not providing good enough. You provide for yourself. Like, no, 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 no. My Father in heaven loved me so much he had his only son slaughtered in my place. So I don't believe your lie, Satan. I don't believe he's a bad father. I don't believe I lack anything. Whatever I seem like I lack, it must be right for me in this day and age because I so trust the character of God. And you keep going back to that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we know these truths, Lord. We, 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 we know these basic gospel truths. <laughs> but sometimes it, it's so difficult to get the mental truth that we know to sink down into the basement of our heart and do real change. And we want to be sanctified, Father. 
I plead with you for myself, for everybody hearing this, that we would do our part, that we would study, that we would read, that we would pray, that we would memorize, that we would meditate, that we would take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But Lord, I pray that you bless the work of our hands. I pray that you would fill us full of the Holy Spirit in a fresh way to experience your presence, to have joy in you, to have delight in you, to taste and see and know that you are good, that you're our Father, that you're our Savior, and we'd be transformed by that. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.